Good morning. You may be seated. I tell you. Uh, honey's texting me. And if I mess up today, she's at a woman's retreat, not a marriage retreat. And she's got a good group of Oakton ladies with her, and, and we're glad they're having a good service today. But isn't it a superfluous day? The English teacher's laughing at me. Isn't it a superfluous day? Uh, God, will you help me? Superfluous. Did you hear that? Huh? Superfluous. That's the title the Lord gave me for today. And it really made me nervous because I can't even say the word. And I've practiced that word every day of this week, or most every day. And really what stumps me is when you go online to hear it pronounced, they say it different each time. Uh, Just go to a different person. But superfluous means more than is needed or wanted. It's not necessary. And I was thinking about that as we sang the songs today. All that is needed and wanted is Jesus, and we need nothing else. Jesus is superfluous, superfluous, superfluous. He's awesome. And we need to recognize that today, even if we can't say big words. Uh, As a lot of you were at the altars today, you're on my heart because I know that we're going through a lot of things. We're going through a lot of things in the church and and we're going through a lot of things in our personal lives. And we need Jesus. And and we need to recognize that he is all we need and he is, nothing else is necessary. There's nothing extra that you need but Jesus. As I was... uh, Coming to Tuesday prayer, slide 16. But as I was coming to Tuesday prayer, a lot of things were weighing heavy on me. And one of them is we're going to talk about money today. And I already got a reaction. Nobody wants to talk about money. Uh, it needs not to be talked about in the church. And, and I thought about this as... I looked in the scriptures, there's over 2,000 verses on money, wealth, possessions, or giving in the Bible. Jesus spoke on money roughly 15% of the times when he preached. When he spoke of parables, 11 parables out of 39 taught on money. There's more scriptures on money than on faith, prayer, With those two, there's roughly 500, and there's roughly 2,000 or more on money. So it's obvious God has lots to say about money, wealth, and giving. It's obvious that Jesus has a lot to say about that. And and today, uh, it seems like we don't want to talk about it, but yet Jesus knew how important it is to, to understand and not let money control us. 
but that we control money. That Jesus is all we need and we keep him first in our life and everything else is going to be added unto us. As I was working on this sermon and really battling and debating because, again, I feel the pressure a lot of times about talking about money at church. I wanted to make sure I was hearing from the Lord. And I looked up an article and and this article popped up and it said, do you know we all could be millionaires if we watched our spending? It caught my eye. In that article, it said we could all be millionaires if we could cut superfluous spending. Uh, That's too coincidental. God gives me the title of the service, and I'm just reluctantly going through articles on the internet, and here's this word that I never knew existed before. Americans spend 18000 on non-essential essential spending a year. According to a research uh, organization that this, mag- or this article is uh, quoting from, it said that, that Americans spend 1497 a month on non-essential items. On pleasures, the survey showed the average American spent $20 on coffee, another $209 on dinners, $189 on drinks with friends just for the month. That's $418. And this one here hit me a little bit, but impulsive purchases, the same survey found we make an average of five impulsive purchases a month. That adds up to an average of about $109 a month. I thought, wow, that's me. Because I actually just did this. My wife's gone, and I went to Walmart hungry. And I've been hearing about these air dryers, and I want to watch my weight because I'm watching it grow. And so I go in there, and I spend $119 on an air dryer. Fryer, thank you. You guys want to come up and preach this? But I spent $119 on superlicious, no, dry hair fryer. And, and, and I get home and I'm thinking, why did I do that? Because it took me forever to get the chicken ready. And then I had to wait an hour on the chicken when I could have just got a broiled chicken at Walmart. But, but that is me a lot of times. I'm impulsive. And, 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 and that can be good, but it can be bad. And, and so I say all that because I, I'm moving into talking about the, the buyout and, and, and the update on the buyout. And, and it's uncomfortable for me to talk about this, but the Lord really put it on my heart that on December 4th, 2023, Oakton voted 99%, or actually 99.1% to disaffiliate with the United Methodist Church knowing that the cost would be $223,092. And that money would be due June the 12th. And again, slide three is a ballot that all of you that were there that day, I think 150 people voted. And and we were 99% in agreement on this. And you checked all but one, checked yes. And we voted on this again that... We understood. 
So the reason we talk about money a lot and have the last few weeks is because you ask us to. You as a church made it my responsibility, the pastor's responsibility to keep this in front of us, to keep it before us. You've made it the pastor's staff's responsibility to keep eye on things and thank you for doing that. The trustees, the, the groups, and, and we're, we've got this before us. We added in to the weekly giving in the bulletin because a lot of times, and, and I've heard some complaints on that, and I've heard some positive things, but you can look in your bulletin for the last few months and see that we need this much money each week. And this is what we got last week. So we added those things in because normally when we have a, a big ticket item in front of us to pay for, people will give to that big ticket item and then they don't tithe. And so the tithe is the day-to-day -day stuff and your pastor's salaries. And, and a lot of times because of that, that those numbers go down. And we're seeing that now. The tithe is down 15.55%. And expenses are up 26.69 due to inflation. You guys know what I'm going through. What I used to go to Walmart and buy for $30, it's now $80 or $90. And so the church year to date is seeing a 42.38 swing in comparison from last year in general stuff. So we're tight. We're tight right now. But God has been faithful. We don't need anything extra other than Jesus. And, and we need to look at that no matter what we're going through, no matter how things may look, that we need nothing but Jesus to get us through these things. But on the exciting note that Joe was talking about, God is moving through our faithfulness. And he's, he's moving in spite of me and in spite of a lot of us. As we said, that, and you saw on the, the, the buyout as far as the, the vote that you signed in December, that number was 223000 and some change. Well, as of 417 or last Sunday, that number was $113,255. So we've put $109,000 towards that. That's awesome. We need to praise the Lord for that. And we need to be happy about that. But as said last week, we're waiting on uh, the conference to give us that final reduction on pensions. And this is the news that I don't think anybody knows, but a few of you. But, but we've been waiting for that extra pension reduction. Well, they called or sent me an email Monday the 18th, and they'll finalize this, but the number of reduction was $44,915. Yeah, we need to be praising the Lord. Another 44K reduction from the conference. And, and to be honest with you guys, the reason that reduction's there on the pension, interest rates go up, pension goes down. I'm not a rocket scientist, but Joe and some of you smart people know what I'm talking about. And so we've had a, another reduction of just shy of 45K. So the, the, as of today, the number that we owe is $68,340.53. Okay, 
That's pretty awesome. Now, some of you've got letters or emails or, or things uh, from the church here the last couple of weeks. But a, a connected couple to Oakton contacted me last Sunday, I believe, and we're wanting to put up 100K towards the buyout. And when I explained to them that, that that may take care of the buyout, they said, well, if the church will match it, just anything extra uh, will go to the building fund. And so they put the money up that we would match it for the buyout, dollar for dollar for 100K. And again, that would cover it. So anything extra is just put towards the building. So I looked up the building, and as of April 23rd today, at the end of today, because we're curing interest every day, the building fund is $156,018.49. We have $24,300 in designated building fund that's for that, for our July payment, which makes that today $131,718.18. Now again, we've been challenged to match 100,000. If we match 100,000, that's 200,000, right? Well, you could put the, the, you put the buyout together and the loan together, and guess what the number is? $200,058.72. I don't believe in coincidence. If we match this challenge just to the penny, we'd have we'd owe fifty-eight dollars and twelve cents on both of them. Think about that. Now, again, I know many of you have already gave to this. I have already gave to it. Uh, a year end, I gave to the building. I gave to the buyout. I gave to the general fund. And and I saw that. I thought, man, I wish I'd have waited. But the Lord is challenging me and me and Karen are going to give again because we believe this is an opportunity. Uh, If you look at the building, it was a 10-year loan. I think there's eight or seven or eight years left on that. We thought, why don't we just put some of that that we plan to give towards it and try to hit that number? Mainly for me, and again, these are things that you guys voted to do And I agree with, but wouldn't it be neat on our celebration on July 2nd to burn both of these notes? But again, if you give, we appreciate that. If you can't give no more, we appreciate that. But we're just wanting to put this before you. We're going to plan to take up another offering like we normally do on the fifth Sunday, April 30th. And we'd like for everybody to give what they can then so we'll know by board meeting how to move forward. And board meeting be the following Tuesday. And so again, uh, uh, pray about this and think about this, but, but know that anything you give will go to the buyout first. Overflow will go to the building. And if there's any overflow after that, we'll just put it in the general fund to catch up on the designated spending we had to get into. So know that, that the monies will go towards Oakton ministries and opportunities. 
superfluous. More than is needed or wanted, extra and not necessary. I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians 9. And, and guys, um, when we were gone, we tried to listen to the sermons, but but I uh, couldn't listen to them all the time because of the internet. So I didn't hear any services while I was gone or the totality of them. But found out Jim preached on 2 Corinthians 8. He told me that yesterday. So I thought that was kind of neat. But 2 Corinthians 9. Now it is superfluous. There's that word. That's where I got it. It was in that scripture. I learned a new word. For me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia. Saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. And so we had churches, if you remember that review, that you had Macedonia and you had Corinthians all giving to help the church or the saints in Jerusalem. And, and they were drawing excitement from each other. Macedonia was excited because uh, Corinthians had already started giving and, and it was just, it was bringing a lot of excitement. Uh, but I'm sending, let's see, and, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Verse 3, but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary, necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you and to arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows boastfully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound in you or to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely to the, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies Seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply apply your seed for sowing and increase for harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressive gift. Again, the previous year, 2 Corinthians 8, 4, the Corinthian church was excited and actually begged 
to take part in the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. They were the first to give in verses 18 with the the zeal, and they desired to sow into the church of Jerusalem. Zeal means great energy or enthusiasm, passion in pursuit of a cause or an object. Their zeal, enthusiasm, and passion gave the Jerusalem church, the saints, hope. A year had gone by, and Paul was after them to finish what God had started a year ago. And we see that again in 8.10 and 8.11 of Corinthians. He was concerned the Corinthian church might have lost their enthusiasm to give. It always seems like it's exciting in the beginning. But a year down the road, maybe there's not as much enthusiasm. So today in the scriptures, what I want you to do now is to quit thinking about all the the money sides of these things. That's part of it. But I believe the Lord wants us to think about what we're sowing into today. In all things. Paul goes on in in the scripture here in chapters 9 to continue to teach sowing to the church. He was trying to show them how in the heart that they needed to give in. He's reminding them that they have more than is needed, wanted and necessary to accomplish what God has called them to do. But God said, you got to sow before I can bless you. In Paul's point, 9-6, and he says that this is the point. This is my point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so he's saying, whatever you do, and as I was starting into earlier and, and chase that rabbit a little bit, that, that God was showing me there's marriages that we sowed into today, today that we've lost enthusiasm for. There's ministry that we've uh, 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 sowed into that maybe we've lost enthusiasm for. There may be family things that we've sowed into that, that we've lost enthusiasm for. There may be a job or it could be anything because in the, you know, it could be an object or it could be something spiritual, but, but what have you sowed into that you maybe aren't as excited about now? And so again, as I say, and Paul began to teach how important it was to be wise in sowing. And so he tells us four things in the scripture I want to talk about today. One, we need to cheer from a, or sow from a cheerful heart. Two, we need to sow in grace, sufficiency, and good works. Three, we need to know that we're blessed when we sow in God. And four, God sows leads by example. So these four principles, and again, sow from a cheerful heart. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul here was telling us three ways that we need to discern before we sow. 
And, and guys, these plants, I keep looking at them up here. I got to just talk about it. We were talking about, uh, again, abiding in the vine and sowing in Christ. That was our mission statement this year, abiding the vine. These here were starts from that plant. We took starts that are about this big and stuck them in dirt. And, and we sowed into it. And look at them today. By faith, we sowed into and look at these two today. It's pretty awesome. But Paul was saying that when we sow into things, we need to think about it before we plant that seed. And he said the first thing, if you're reluctant, in other words, feeling or showing aversion, hesitation or unwillingness, we can, we can assume a specified role unwillingly, what Webster says, but basically you're not feeling it, you're hesitating, then don't sow into it. And then people, when I was reading this, I was like, gosh, these principles are not only for money, they're for everything. How many people run to me and they want to get married because they feel pressure to get married and, and they sow into a marriage when they're reluctant and then they wonder why the marriage struggles. So if you're reluctant in sowing into something, whether it's money, whether it's the buyout, whether it's marriage, whether it's job, whatever it is, if you're reluctant, then don't do it. Don't do it until you get a piece because it's going to bite you later. You're going to lose your enthusiasm and your heart may not be in it. The second thing he says, do not sow under compulsion. The compulsion is the act of, of driving or urging by force or by physical or moral constraint, subjection to force. So do you take a job? Do you give? Do you get married because you feel pressured into doing it? That isn't a reason to sow into something. A lot of times people get mad at me, but, but if a girl comes to me pregnant, out of marriage, I'm not very quick to say she needs to marry that guy if he's willing to. Because if he's doing it out of obligation, they're not going to last. And I can give you an example of, of somebody that happened, but I won't. But, but the girl got pregnant young. The guy wanted to do the right thing. Me and Karen said, this, we're not comfortable with this. But they pressed through anyway. They took pressure and they married and they divorced within a few years. But if you're not, if you're feeling pressure or forced into doing something, or it even says morally pressured, if you're not feeling it, don't do it. Because you'll pay for it later. A lot of people take jobs out of, out of compulsion. I got to pay the bills. And I understand that you need to probably do things you don't want to sometimes. But, but maybe wait one more day or make sure God gives you the go. Even in church things, I was thinking about this yesterday that, that a lot of people... I just don't want you to vote on something the church is doing. 
if you're reluctant or feeling compulsion. And a lot of times we feel the pressure when we're sitting in these meetings that if we vote no, then nobody's going to like us no more. So I want to tell you, you have my permission as a pastor that any time that you're not feeling good about something, vote no. A lot of you may not like that I said one person voted no. Why am I singling that one person out? I respect that person. I don't even know who it is that voted no on disaffiliating. I respect them because they spoke their mind. They didn't do something that they were comfortable with. Now, they may have changed their heart by now. I don't know. Or they may feel the same way. It doesn't matter. But we should not do anything reluctantly or out of compulsion. He tells us how the sign to do something is a cheerful heart. Cheerful means ready, and I want you to hear this word, spontaneous, meaning you're getting that inner impulse or nudging, excited or prepared. That's when you give. Now, we think cheerful, it's like, <laughs> no, cheerful means ready. Are you ready to get married? Are you ready to take this job? Are you ready to vote for the buyout? Are you excited to get married? Are you excited about your job? Are you excited about the buyout? And then are you prepared? But the one I think that overrules them all, if you're feeling that nudging, because that's the Holy Spirit. But that's when you should give. I don't know, that's just Kent talking there, but I thought, man, how many decisions do I make a day, whether it's my marriage or or finances or money or whatever it is, how many decisions do I make a day? I bought a air fryer. Huh? I did. It was really good. So now I got to change my sermon, don't I? (laughs) It was really good. That thing, I punched it and juice squirted on me and burnt my foot because I had no shoes on to come out of there. But you didn't need to know all that. But it was, it was good. It was worth the wait. But my wife gets home at 2 o'clock, Karen, I'll tell you if I like it then. Because <laughs> I kind of got the mess cleaned up. And, and anyhow, but I hope she's not watching. I love you, honey. So anyhow. Moving on, point two, sowing grace, sufficiency and good works. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So when we make that decision to give to whatever it is or to sow into whatever it is, God gives us grace to accomplish that task. Isn't that awesome? God's got our back. 
Grace means undeserved favor. Grace cannot be earned. It is something that is freely given. We count on God's grace and the bridge he built in our relationship with him. So really, even if we've made a decision out of these other wrong motives, God could even has the grace to fix them. God has the grace to fix us because he did. So the grace has been given to us and Hebrews 4.12 says, so let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Isn't that pretty cool? We can run to God and find that grace. So when we sowed into something and and we're hitting a bumpy road, we can go and find grace. By the way, these are on the Church Oakton app, These, all these notes. I forgot to mention that earlier, if you're following online or in-house. But God gives us grace, but he also gives us all sufficiency to accomplish in sowing. Sufficiency is adequacy, ample supply, or provision. In other words, he qualifies for any purpose, the ability, and gives you the capabilities. God makes us sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon you. kind of like these plants i felt led that, to get a start from them and i just stuck the plug in there and, and be honest with you it was up to god then uh anybody can tell me what these are and i'll buy you a coke i think i already told some of you but but i'm so excited i'm going to sow into these and and anyway i've got some root plants going on them and anyway uh but again once i plant them I can only do what I can do. I can water them, and this is a brand new mic too, isn't it? Or not brand new, but a different one. But but again, I buy them, I buy into it, and I sow them, and I water them, and I care for them the best I can, but in the end, I'm depending on God's grace to make me sufficient and to accomplish what he wants me to do. And then the third thing he's talking about in here, you know, we got the grace, we got sufficiency. So he's saying to, now take that and invest in every good work. And I thought, well, what, what is good work? And, and really, it's, it's a lot of things. But I looked it up from uh, Got Questions. I always like that one. But a good work is a biblical theology of work is that you work is that work was designed by God as man's earthly occupation. It is the means by which we sustain life and make discoveries about God's world. We were created in God's image, Genesis 1.27, and good works, Psalms 19.1 and John 5.19. His work is creative, purposeful, and thorough. It is enjoyable to him and beneficial to us, Psalms 92.4. One day in the new heaven and new earth, work will be returned to its pre-fault condition. It will be a fulfillment to us and a blessing to everyone else. 
So you want me to put that in lady terms? Invest in the work of building God's kingdom. And, and just read your word. What did Adam and Eve invest in? They invested in, they're responsible for this world. They're responsible for everything around them, and they're to work as if it was God's and work to the glory of God and whatever it is. So whatever you do, you do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. That is your work. So John 5, 19 was quoted or stated in there. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing out of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. And Jesus was talking about, I came to show you what God was like. Jesus came to show us how to act like God, how to act like him. So we sow into things that Jesus sowed into. And that's pretty good. So good works or God works. So in relationships, you know, God sowed in a lot of relationship and you break down relationship. That means personal, meaning with God and you, God, the father, God, the son, the Holy Spirit in you. You sow into marriage relationships. There's five scriptures talking about how marriage is between a man and a woman and and how powerful and binding and and awesome it is. That was on God's mind. So he he invested in family relationships, children and youth. He invested in church family relationships, people relationships. And again, as I said earlier, in taking care of his creation, this earth. And we can get political there, but but we need to care for the earth as if it's for the Lord's. You don't trash the earth up. You beautify the earth. And so you can get into a lot of things there. But we're going to keep moving today. But we are, point three, blessed when we sow in God. Verse uh, nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 10 says, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And so God blesses our sowing. And we kind of been talking on that today, but we need to have that heart of sowing. And, and you can talk about the, the parable of the sower. You know, we see in there that that. You know, God gave responsibility for people to sow. And two took that responsibility on and one did nothing. And so God challenges us to sow into the things of God and his kingdom. And and we're going to be judged for not doing that. But the ones that did sow into it, they they bore fruit a hundredfold in some cases. But all of them bore fruit either 60 or 30. So all of them, when they invested in God and the kingdom of God, they yielded at least a 30% increase. And then the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, the, the master gave us all talents and, and he invested in each one of us those talents. And again, we entered into heaven on how we use those talents. Again, investing in God's kingdom. We will be blessed. We will multiply. The one had five, he brought five more back. The one that had two, he brought two more back. 
The other one that had none did nothing. And that's what he got was nothing. So you're blessed when you invest and sow in the things of God. Look at Adam. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, you want to talk about what to sow in, go study that chapter or just that verse. God's telling you what to sow in there. But that's what he called Adam to do is sow into them. He said, I bless you, now sow in these things. And then the same way with Abraham in Genesis twenty two seventeen, Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall prosper. Or shall possess the gate of their enemies. And so we even take it a step further in Jesus. When we invest in him, man, you know, we could talk about the Adam covenant, the Abraham covenant, but we got a Jesus covenant. And we're guaranteed that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall ne- not never, never thirst. Meaning that we are fulfilled when we sow into Jesus. And I started into it earlier and I, I, I backed out of it. But Tuesday morning I was coming to prayer. And, and all these things, are, they're weighing on me. Some personal stuff, some things here at the church, and then just all this stuff. And, and, and I was heading over there to the, the 7 o'clock prayer with everybody. And I was already praying. And guys, I don't know, people said it didn't rain anywhere, but it rained on me for a split second there. And I looked over the church and I saw this and I captured the picture. And, and it just was so powerful because the Lord was speaking to me that, Hey, I've got you covered. You know, that's the first thing when I saw that rainbow is God spoke to me. God's I've got you covered kit. I've got Oakton covered. We're Okay. So all these things that you sowed into that you may be worried about, it's going to be okay. I've got you covered. Well, then I went around to the south side of the church, the next slide, and look behind you there. And there's a rainbow going this way. And the Lord said, I've got south covered too. Isn't God awesome? Two rainbows, one covering Oakton, and this one here, you know, coming the other way. A lot of times when we get under pressure, we try to to second guess ourselves and think, well, we shouldn't have done this or we shouldn't have done that. When maybe we just need to keep trusting God. If you're confident in what you sowed in, then you just need to to keep trusting God, whatever it is. Now, if you're not sure, then repent and God's grace is sufficient for you and he'll jump in the middle of where you're at. And he'll bring you through. But God blesses his people. This is what I've said it earlier today, but we have more than is needed or wanted to accomplish what God has called us to do. I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me that morning, that statement. Then I looked up Genesis 9, 13 on the first scripture of the rainbow. And it says, I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be 
for be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And we got the Jesus covenant. And it's a sealed deal, and he's got us covered. Do you know that I went out and asked people the other day what rainbow meant? You got to hear what I heard. Nobody, to be honest with you, I don't think anybody told me the right answer when the rainbow is a reminder of a covenant with God. The world likes to take the things of God and make it theirs, but, but anyhow. And then in closing, God sows leads by example. 2 Corinthians 9, 9 says, as it, is, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So God gave first. He gave of himself. He gave his son, Jesus Christ. Again, 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. But then I was reminded that for God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God invested in us. God sowed in us. God led us by example in all the things that we are talking about here today. We see that Jesus did the same thing. He took you know, all the riches in, of heaven and gave them up for the poorness of earth. Uh, he was without sin and he took on our sin. Man, man, he gave it all up. He sowed into us because he had a cheerful heart. But 2 Corinthians 8 9 said that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. Think about that. We were in trouble. Hell, Jesus, heaven. That's a pretty good covenant, isn't it? Philippians 2, 7, but emptied Jesus, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being poor, born in the likeness of men. Man, Jesus gave it all up. So today, we should follow God's example. We should give to God everything and give of ourselves first. And that's what they said in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, is they gave of themselves first. Meaning before the Corinthian church made any decision, they gave of themselves to the Lord and said, Lord, here I am, use me. We should give of ourselves first. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. When I go through difficult times, and I've been quoting that, when I've been feeling things that... that from the enemy or whatever, and I'm not really feeling God sometimes. And to be honest with you, I prayed this a lot in Liberia and Albania. But I said, Lord, this is my body, and I offer it to you as a living sacrifice. And you make me holy and pleasing because of the righteousness of Christ. Do as with me as you will. 
But Father, I know your will is this. And I quote a scripture, I know your will is that. But here I am, Lord. And when I do that, a peace comes over me like you wouldn't believe. But we've got to get our mind around it all that, that when we center in on God, it's, you know, one scripture is my favorite. For one of them, Matthew six thirty three, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else is going to be added. And really, that's everything. But today, you know, we're talking about monies. We're talking about lots of decisions before us. You know, I glance out and I see Ann and Mike there. It's the same thing when you're voting for something in government. Look at those steps. And, and vote and speak your heart. Because God has showed us, he's gave us the spirit to guide and direct us in everything. But, but again, if the praise team wants to come forward, recognize that he's there for us. Recognize that he's given us the grace, the sufficiency to do his good works. So these four principles today, and again, I, I, I quote verse 8 again, are sufficient in all things at all times so that you may about be okay in every good work. You may about in every good work, abound in every good work. So one, sow from a cheerful heart. Sow in grace, sufficiency, and good works. We're blessed when we sow in God, and God led us by example. Again, not according to what a person has, but according to what he does not have, 2 Corinthians 8, 12. What matters is the willingness, which is the, the true move. It's just the willingness. And I think of the widow in Mark 12, 41, when Jesus brought attention to her and she put what she had into that plate that day. And again, I don't want this to be just about money, but what about your marriage? What about your kids? What about your church? What about your job? What about what God's called you to sow in? When she put all that she had into it, he recognized it and he blessed her. And that's all God wants us to do today is is to put all we have in to what he's called us to sow in. I'll never forget when we were making a push to buy Carthage and we forget about this so many times, but but we'd raise that money in, in a month to buy that building and it was a bigger number than I'm talking about today even. And we were up here and this, the Carthage church come in, all the churches come in and we were talking about it and we were we were gathering the monies in and all that. And I kept having this Spanish lady come up to me and speaking in Spanish. Basically, I need to speak to you. And I kept blowing her off because I didn't catch what she was saying. And to be honest with you, didn't probably think she had anything to give. But I was busy. And she came up to me three or four times. And, and I kept blowing her off for lack of words. And I wasn't doing it mean or facetiously, but I was busy. And and later, Embar caught me right out that door there and said that she's got something to say to you. And, and it, it makes me feel bad today, but, but she gave me $1,000 cash that day 
And I guarantee you that was like 100,000 to me. But she was excited and she felt led to sow into God. And I've never forgot that. I'll never forget in Kansas City, I got into my desk in there. But we're ministering to the homeless. And I always felt guilty, but we take up a, an offering to sow into their area down there. And they don't have nothing to give. So a lot of times they're putting, you know, candy in there or just different things in there. And this little kid went up and put a little, you know, you, them candy machines when you turn it and they pop out and they got that little canister. Well, they put a dollar and a quarter, dollar and a quarter of quarters in that and drop that in the offering plate. And that moved me because that was big for that little kid. Big. And to be honest with you, it's sitting in my desk. I put the money in the offering and, and, and kept that for a keepsake. But what has God called us to sow into? And that's all that matters. And we just need to give the best that we can. And when we do that, he'll bless us. It's that simple. But again, when I was arranging this today, you know what was on my heart the most? Marriages. The Lord spoke to me, and I'm going to look up. I guess I can't because we got married couple there, but I'll look over here. But the Lord told me there's couples struggling in this church that shouldn't be struggling. You've sowed into something. Have you lost enthusiasm? Well, it's time to get back to the beginning and remember that God gave us the green light. And you need to sow into your marriage no matter what your spouse has done. You need to sow into your marriages. When you don't feel like it, you need to sow into them. Give the best you can. I got jobs a lot today. It seems like that I've seen more Christians fall away from the Lord when they take a job. And I think to myself, was that really God? So do we take jobs out of compulsion? Or is the Holy Spirit nudging us saying, do that? So it's more than money. It's life. You know, guys, even planting, you know, we had a freeze last night. And I prayed for all you farmers because the freeze is not good on crops. But you had to, to sow when you thought it was time to sow. And don't lose enthusiasm because it was a cold night last night. That God honors your sowing and he honors your heart. You just do the best you can. Trusting him to supply all your needs. So this principle of sowing, it's more than money. It's life. So let's stand to our feet today and think about those things. Think about those things because the Lord, man, he wants to bless you today. He wants to touch your situation today. But you got to make yourself available. If you're here today and you haven't accepted Jesus, your Lord and Savior, you need to come to to me and let's do that. But but maybe today you just need to, to get with God about some sowing things.
And so that's what these altars are for. We're not going to condemn you. We're not going to run you down. But if you want to pray about some sowing, let's come and do that.